you're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by Epidemic Sound, the company reimagining music licensing for the digital age. Epidemic's library contains tens of thousands of tracks that you can license a la carte or on a subscription basis. Unlike other music licensing companies, Epidemic Sound owns its entire catalog and makes tracks available via one straightforward license to cover all your needs, worldwide and in perpetuity. No more headaches around usage reporting, performance royalties, or murky rights ownership. It's better for the artists and better for you, the creator. So whatever your music needs, Epidemic Sound has got you covered. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Chang Kim, founder and CEO of Tapas Media. Chang, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm glad we get to do this. We uh, are here live at Digital Entertainment World, which mm-hmm. is a conference in Los Angeles focused on yeah. all things digital media. Mm-hmm. And you came down from the Bay Area to spend a couple of days here, so I'm glad the schedule's lined up. Yep, definitely. Glad to be here. So to start off, let's jump back in time and talk about how you found your way into the media space. Yeah, so my thing has always been about building technology products for people who create content. I think that uh, people who create the content, they're they're most, you know, some of the most like amazing people in the world. But, you know, there's this notion that people who create content, they're like starving artists, right? So how do we like empower these people? How do we make them more professional? How do we, you know, become more successful? Um, So these are the things that I personally have been thinking about a lot. And my personally, my background is before this company, I was at Google running Blogger as a product manager. And uh, obviously, you know, bloggers are also, you know, people who produce content, you know, through blogging. And then before that company, I was doing my first startup, which was about another uh, blogging software company. So um, whether it's like bloggers or people who produce comics or novels, graphic novels, I think there is uh, some commonality there, which is people who produce content. And you know, producing good content is obviously very, very hard, right? So my thing is, you know, I, I don't, I'm not as gifted as you know some of those people who create the content, uh, writers and you know uh, artists. But um, you know, I like to build products for these people to help them become more successful. You came to Google through an acquisition of your first startup, Mm -hmm. uh, which was actually back in Korea, right? Yes. And so you focused on bloggers initially. What attracted you to the blogging space at that time? So I was a blogger myself. (laughs) So blogging back then was the easiest, you know, way to produce content possibly on the web and then also establish your brand as as an individual content creator, right? Um, So back then, you know, it was like web 2.0 and then like people were talking about how to empower you know people who so like anything um, that's if you think about the platform businesses anything that's been successful has been uh, something that empowered people through technology like something that only a few people had an access to but with the power of technology if that can like give that the same amount of power to everybody um, you know that's you know if you think about blogging or you know some other things and which is part of like why we like this business because we think that publishing space needs a lot of innovation you know especially through mobile and technology and you know like cloud and all of these things but if you think about publishing industry you know for the most part it's one of the oldest industries, right? If you look at the top publishers in the U.S., three out of four are originally from Europe. And, you know, these companies were established in, like, 1800s. Definitely goes really far. But then how do we, if you're, like, a young indi- individual, 
you know, independent creator, you don't just like walk into the publisher's office and then get a book deal, right? So then if you have this original storytelling, uh, how, like what is your options? So we think that, you know, through the power of technology, we can empower this, you know, up and coming young people to also have a you know, chance to publish their stories in the, in the world. Yeah, as you mentioned, it's kind of in the old media ecosystem, there were gatekeepers, right? There were these few large publishing houses that controlled mm-hmm. what got published, what uh, people could consume, and, and thus what made money. Mm-hmm. Now, in an area of digital media, first we had blogging come on the web where anyone could uh, be a creator and had access right. to that, that resource. And now the same is true of web comics and novels and the things that you're focused on the top is media. Mm-hmm. I'm curious, you mentioned you were a blogger yourself. What, what were you uh, focused on at the time? What were you blogging about? Well, back then I was blogging about like, you know, web technologies and, you know, startup stuff. Um, so, yeah, mostly technology stuff. And when you started your first business, what were what was the hardest part about being a first-time entrepreneur? Everything was hard, obviously, right? But uh, fundraising, right? Because internet business uh, back then, you know, it wasn't, it, you know, the, the way to monetize was to build scale first. Uh, but there's a chicken and egg problem. How do you build a scale first, right? I mean, you have to develop product. You have to develop content. Uh, you have to, you know, at some point you have to also do, you know, some marketing and user acquisition, right? But then all of this requires funding. So um, how do you like, you know, find that sort of like, you know, how do you make the, you know, sort of like the flywheel work? So that was the challenging part. And I think, you know, that is uh, still the challenging part. Sure. Yeah. And you had told me before we started the show that you uh, went to university here in the U.S., but mm-hmm. then went back to Seoul to start that business. Mm-hmm. Did you end up raising money from Korean venture capital? Or yes. Okay, yes. great. How yes. was that process? And how does it differ from, say, you know, uh, the startup ecosystem in Korea versus startup ecosystem in the U.S.? Yeah, so we raised from SoftBank Ventures Korea. And uh, back then, you know, the venture capital industry in Korea was not as big as, what is it? now but i think it was great because we were right at the beginning of the whole again you know web 2.0 and then there was a lot of like movements you know this was back when like people were uh buying iphones the first like you know a wave of smartphones and you know this was a really good time and uh, the whole venture capital you know ecosystem industry began you know to be so yeah we, we were really lucky to be at the onset of it so we witnessed a lot of like you know changes and stuff like that compared to the silicon valley ecosystem i think now there's a lot of like different parts of the world where venture capital and startup ecosystem is having you know a lot of success and i think that generally speaking i mean this might be a little bit of like generalization but uh, generally speaking i think uh, silicon valley you know there's hard tech you know a lot of vcs you know venture capitalists are into the hard tech and um you know the good example of that story you know for us is um obviously we're developing you know this pl- platform and community for content creators who publish their stories in the form of graphic novels and written novels so there's a lot of technology going in there. We have to develop the app. We have to develop uh, the CMS and backend. You know, we have to develop a business model. There's a lot of like and content recommendation, data analysis. There's a lot of technology going into this. But then, one of the venture, you know, uh, Silicon Valley VCs was like when we were pitching our service to them. You know, they were like, "Oh, do you guys have a AI technology that turns whatever I say into comic book format?" And we're like, no, I mean, that'd be super cool, but then we don't have the technology yet. So I think that's a that's an example of like how Silicon Valley VCs can be super into, you know, this like hard tech. In that sense, uh, they might be kind of like arguably, you know, missing on some opportunities, I think. 
but uh, you know, compared to other places, other places like, for example, LA, you know, there's a lot of consumer plays popping up, and then they are very successful, right? So, I think uh, it's it's becoming more and more the case where you know you can build a huge, you know, very successful companies in any place of the world. So now that you've started Tapas Media, right, about five six years ago, what are the lessons that you've learned from your previous venture that you're now applying in this second startup? Well, I mean, the first company was also a marketplace model. So it's like a content marketplace. There's a content creators and there's content consumers. And uh, I think the lesson that we took was, and obviously, you know, for that model, for any marketplace model, um, you have to get the flywheel, you know, running. So there has to be some starting point. And the lesson that we took in our first company was that it always starts from content, content creators. The sort of like a chicken and egg problem there is you don't attract the content creators unless you have eyeballs and audience, right? So then how do you get the audience? You don't buy audience. I mean, you have to, you get the audience with a high quality content, which, you know, goes back to the content creators. But somehow you have to figure out the starting point, which always in our mind is um, the, the content creators. Tell me a little bit more about Tapas and the vision. What inspired you to launch this for comic artists and, and novel artists? Tell us a little bit about the inspiration and how you've attracted them to the platform. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I was reading a lot of webcomic series myself, and it's it's very you know visual storytelling you know format, and I, I just love it. I'm a huge fan of some of the some of the uh, webcomics, like the Oatmeal. I'm just an avid reader of it. It's just a, you know the way the stories are expressed there is just amazing and when i was looking for something like like an aggregation site or like a platform for that something something that's you know similar to how for example youtube you go to youtube and then there's like a all you know all these videos that you can search for so it's like a platform right so so you can also publish your stories as well i was looking for something like that here but i couldn't really find one and um, we took a lot of inspirations from asian platforms where there's a lot of successful platforms that allow people to publish their comic series and novel series. And these are original stories. These are not just like comics or novels and end there. These are the people that we call IP creators. So people who want to become the next like J.K. Rowling, you know, with, you know, Harry Potter series or people who want to become the next Stan Lee with all the amazing like. So these are like, a, you know, story franchises and there's a lot of people who want to build, you know, those story franchises. And then we were looking for, hey, is there a platform like that in the U.S.? And we couldn't really find one. So that was an inspiration point. So when you find an incredibly talented creator who has produced some sort of IP, how do you help them take it to the next step, right? Think about, you know, are there franchise opportunities? Is it consumer products? Is it television? Is it licensing? Hmm. Do you help them with that process? How do you think about the rest of the that kind of IP ecosystem. Yes. So we have built this platform, open publishing platform, so anybody can come to our platform and start publishing. That doesn't mean that everybody can produce good content, obviously. So when you have a UGC platform, user-generated content platform, there's that that curve. So the, the key is to identify talented creators and the high-quality content. And then this is where data comes into play. So we, we have, you know, the data scientists and then we have the back-end engineers who can identify the top talents and, you know, up-and-coming 
oh, this can be the next, you know, franchise star early on. Um, so a lot of data play, you know, goes into goes into this. And then the way it works is, you know, the, the door is wide open to anybody. So anybody who wants to create their comic series or novel series can come and start publishing. And then once we identify the, the top ones, good ones, uh, we try to develop uh, original stories with them. So it's like a co-production deal. And uh, a lot of times, so in those cases, we kind of come in as a publisher. So we finance some of these projects in the form of advancement or you know, minimum guarantees. So we help them just focus on creating the original stories and we kind of like try to form a partnership with them. Even though we're financing those projects, we don't try to like take 100% of the IP. Uh, we try to make it an equal partnership, so 50-50 kind of a, you know, IP ownership. What that does is if we try to capture 100% of the IP ownership, it just becomes like a work for hire. And then the creators kind of, kind of like lose motivation quickly. So we try to make it like a partnership where, hey, let's develop original IP together. These IPs can become the next movies, you know, movies or the next Netflix series or next mobile games and so on and so forth. So the way we can do that is because we have built awesome partnerships with some of the partners. So we have partnership with agency companies, um, management companies. Uh, sometimes we you know, get calls from studios and networks directly. So these, like a lot of these companies are looking for the next original IP. So uh, they have an, you know, access to all the networks, all the talents in, in Hollywood, right? So you know, these are, those are the areas that we cannot probably add a lot of value. But then a lot of these companies are looking for the next, you know, hidden gems. So then uh, for them, it's not easy to tap into this like young, up and coming, fresh talents. And this is where we come in. So we have all this network of, you know, awesome creators that are kind of bringing the unique stories uh, that were never been, you know, produced and found in the kind of like old media. So, you know, there's a lot of synergies to be made that way. Let's talk a little bit more about the legacy media companies, right? If you think about newspapers or, you know, you've got uh, other forms of publishing like magazines, obviously comics in the traditional sense, now that there's more content being created, more choice for consumers, and often now direct to consumer monetization options through platforms like Tapas, how are the traditional media companies reacting? What is, you know, what is the future of their business model? So it's very interesting because traditional media companies, uh, in terms of monetizing their content, uh, it, it used to be always about monetizing. So people people say, like, in the internet age, content is free. And then people were, a lot of people had a problem with that statement because it's like, you know, why is the content free? You know, like, content has always been monetized. But then if you think about CDs, right, or other type of physical medium, it was the containers that were being sold. So, like, for newspaper, it was like the, you know, the, the actual physical copies, uh, magazines, right? All of that. But then when it became like an internet centric, internet era, so there was no physical thing that you can sell. So, you know, it was really difficult to monetize it. Now, in the mobile ecosystem, the apps and, you know, the in app purchase makes a big difference because they almost artificially created the container that can be sold. So, the free to play games, you know, you buy the items. I mean, these are not physical. Uh, these are not tangible items, but then there's some notion of like you get something for free, but then on top of it, if you want to enjoy more, you know, you pay. For us, definitely, you know, mobile in-app purchase made a big difference because uh, a lot of people, it's just, it's just like when you try to like buy digital content, 
uh, you have to take out your wallet and then you know take out the credit card and there's a lot of hurdle right but then what we built is uh, something very similar to mobile gaming so the experience is something like you know you start reading let's say a novel or graphic novel series eight or nine episodes are free completely free and then after that if you want to enjoy more then you can purchase you know through the virtual credits so we looked at the mobile gaming ecosystem a lot because if there's one industry that has figured out how to make money from apps ecosystem it's you know really gaming industry so we looked at the gaming model you know how the freemium works in the gaming ecosystem and try to you know try to uh kind of like emulate that and uh, yeah that's what we did very smart and if we think about publishing in the sense of, uh, you know, books, right? Uh, a lot of the traditional book publishers have begun to feel increased competition from online formats. Mm-hmm. And Amazon has actually been acquiring a number of imprints recently and is starting to break new authors. Mm-hmm. And I, th- I expect that we'll see that too through more online platforms and the services that you offer. What do you think the future looks like for the next JK Rowling? As you mentioned, some of these next-gen IP creators, uh, are they all going to be broken on digital? Does the traditional world of agents and managers still have its place? And will we see those blend at some point? Yeah, I think uh, it'll look like music industry. Uh, music industry, it's like, you know, the way people consume music content has fundamentally changed. Um, so like Spotify, for example, right? You, you get access to multiple different devices, but you, you access to the same content, same pool of content, right? So it'll be like a multi-channel, multi-platform consumption experience. So if you think about the books, physical books right now, it's only one medium. Uh, but then it's very rigid. And then there's fundamental sort of advantages that digital platform, mobile platforms can have. So, for example, social aspect. Uh, when you read a book, you know, there's no interaction with the author. There's no commenting. There's no, like, community around, like, you know, the, the content. Um, so, you know, that's definitely one advantage of digital and mobile platform. The other is also publishing experience. Uh, if you think about the book publishing, you know, process, Somebody has to write the entire book first. So it can take like two years, it can take whatever amount of time. Uh, but then before, so you have to finish the book first and then, then you have to pitch the book to different publishers. And there's a lot of chance that you will get turned down. So then uh, all, all this effort might go into nothing. So, but on online digital mobile, you just start publishing, right? You start publishing, you start getting the audience and then get that community going. So there's fundamental sort of advantage to digital publishing, mobile publishing. But that being said, uh, we're not trying to like kill the print books industry. So I, I think it would be more like one, you know, the same type of content, same content living in different formats. It can be print books, it can be mobile, it can be digital, it can be anything. Netflix has generated a lot of buzz recently for having a collaboration with the television show Black Mirror for having this kind of interactive experience in which the audience can make choices and that you know dictates what happens in the content. Do you see similar interactivity being brought into the publishing world? Like I'm reading a graphic novel or enjoying a comic series and I'm presented with choices about you know what the characters might do? I think it's definitely happening. Um, so it's like you know mobile is a new medium. And uh, I mean, we're going to see more and more new mediums popping up. There's already like VR, AR, um, and then who knows? I mean, in the future, there could be other type of new medium. So one thing that I believe in is um, whenever there's a new medium, the successful content is not something that you're just like taking from the existing medium and then kind of like somehow shoehorn in. Uh, you know, that, that approach doesn't really work, generally speaking. So one good example being like, you know, when radio 
first came out, you know, but in terms of like putting ads on on radio, like people were kind of like somehow trying to you know use the same format from newspaper or other other medium, try to like somehow you know make it work on the new platform. That approach doesn't really work. I think that interactivity, you know, that's like a new uh, way of you know interacting with the content. Again, you know, if you think about the book reading experience, there's not much of interactivity going on. You don't, there's, you know, it's very one, you know, one directional, unidirectional experience. You just like consume the content only. But what mobile and, you know, possibly other medium enables is a different way of consuming the content, a different way of consuming the content, which also entails the interactivity as well. I think you're, you're very much right about the rules of content creation and content consumption are written by... Uh, those active on the new platforms. And we see a recent example of this has been in social media, right? That those who were successful on YouTube as an early form of social were the homegrown creators. The viners, if you remember, yeah, right? sure. <laughs> not the traditional celebrities or right. TV personalities who tried to come to the platform and emulate TV. Mm-hmm. It was vloggers in their bedrooms. Right. It was Let's Play gamers. It's makeup tutorials. And that's also the beauty of the platform business because, I yeah. mean, once you have a platform, then, you know, you, you get all these talents that you didn't know exist before right so like the platform the true power of the platform business is you get all these people from all around the world and then oh i didn't even know this guy existed but then they're so talented right so in that sense i'm, I'm calling american idol a platform business as well because american idol you know it's just like it brings all these talents that are you know you never knew you know these people existed before right so what's coming next do you have some predictions to offer about the future of digital media well, I mean, mobile is definitely here. Like a lot of people say mobile is like a thing of the past already. Like, you know, everybody, a lot of people, people just like generally pursue the the next thing, right? But then if you think about some of the, you know, most successful web, you know, based companies, uh, they emerged when everybody was like, oh, you know, web is over. Everybody, you know, is on to mobile. But then when they were talking about that, you know, mobile was not there yet. So Generally speaking, uh, technology, you know, takes a lot of time to become mainstream. So I think mobile is not, we shouldn't overlook mobile, even though a lot of people are like, oh, you know, it's like, you know, it's all about VR, it's all about AR. It's going to take more time. But mobile is really amazing because, you know, for the first time, arguably, you know, you have this ecosystem where you can publish once and then you can reach, you know, like 3 billion people. I mean, that's amazing if you think about it. So I think that there is still a lot of revolution, a lot of you know, cool things to come from mobile space. So that's one, you know, thought. But then in terms of VR and AR, definitely, you know, it'll come at some point. I mean, it'll take time, but then it's such a, you know, fundamental kind of a shift in computing. I think that it'll definitely come. We don't know when, but... Uh, yeah, it'll definitely come. Seems like there are still some barriers to consumer adoption. Maybe the tech's not ready or the hardware still has some some issues with the user experience. But it ultimately becomes, too, about the business models, right? How is VR, AR being applied? Is it by media and entertainment companies? Is it really going to be confined to the gaming space? Or are there opportunities beyond that for travel, education, science, whatever the case may be, medicine? Maybe there are these additional applications that we have yet to figure out, not just the technology, but the business implications. And a lot of times, um, you know, it's, it just comes out of nowhere i mean like you know what people think is like a total toy or a total like oh like who's gonna do this might be actually the thing that's gonna become like big yeah like i mean a lot of people you know when google was like this like a giant like a lot of companies were like oh how do we how do we beat google 
And then people were like, oh, we should probably you know, build a better search engine. But that game is probably over. Like, there's no way you can build a better search engine than Google at this point, right? So then uh, Facebook uh, or something else you know, comes around. So the way you kind of you know, try to find the opportunity is not to kind of like look at you know, what's going on, what's popular now, and then try to, try to outdo it. A lot of times it's just like a different thinking. It's like, all right, so what is the thing that's really, really interesting, but then not many people are looking at right now, right? So that's just, you know, my, my thinking. Speaking of that thinking, what does the future hold for Tapas? Yeah, Tapas, we definitely want to become this global platform for uh, people that want to create original IP. Um, so again, you know, our business has two different sides, the publisher side, the creator side, and then the consumer side. And there's a lot of innovations that, you know, uh, need to go in there in, in both places. But again, we're always starting from the creator side. We want to be uh, something like YouTube for, you know, the people we call IP creators, the the original storytellers that are up and coming, the, you know, young uh, creators. We want to be the the first place that these people like the, you know, top of mind choice for these people who want to create their original stories. If you were starting a business in the digital media space today, knowing everything you know, what would you do? Very interesting question. I think that, again, you know, like interactivity, gaming, there's a lot of chance, you know, there, business opportunities there. So like people, like if you look at the apps ecosystem, like in some countries, like as high as 90% of the app's revenue come from games. And there's reason for that. Like people, second of game, like when, when people hear about games, you know, people think about, oh, like it's like, you know, like five minutes of fun. You know, there's interactivity. So interactivity and games are actually the same thing. The reason I think, you know, why gaming is so popular is because it's a medium that you can interact, you know, with the content. So if you look at VR, AR space right now, like a lot of overlap, a lot of crossover happening with the gaming industry. So the same people who are designing games are actually designing the storytelling in the new medium. So I think there's there's a lot of you know potential there. Uh, we don't know what that's going to be you know looking like, but then my bet is like you know within the five years, let's say you know there will be a huge company that's coming from the gaming slash storytelling space that, you know, people never heard of today. So it'll be like coming from totally left, you know, out of left field. And um, like crypto, for example, I mean, there's a lot of, you know, criticism about crypto. Crypto obviously was a big thing, huge thing. Everybody was talking about crypto until like, you know, (laughs) some part of last year, but then, you know, the market crashed. And then now, you know, crypto is a little bit of dirty word. But I'm still bullish about crypto because what it does is it's it enables the community to come around. And then, you know, like once, you know, somebody figures out the community model based on the cryptocurrency in a real, you know, fundamental way, not in a hacky way or not in a greedy way. It's like you know, a lot of ICOs. It was just like a scam. Right. So somebody legit kind of like figures out the community model around the content generation space, it'll be huge. I think you're right. There's a lot of speculation around the crypto space today, but the underlying blockchain technology mm-hmm. has implications far beyond just, you know, currency. Definitely. definitely yeah. yeah. So I'm interested in that. And, and uh, interested in your point in the gaming space, I, st- I see a lot of parallels between what you've done and what's happening in, in publishing, right? And so if you think about gaming, for instance, right, Steam has emerged as this platform where any independent game developer can launch mm-hmm. uh, a, a game and reach an audience. 
And now we're seeing huge platforms like Roblox or Minecraft, which is allowing an entire new generation of kids to learn about gaming, but also about coding and technology right. and how they can design their own games, mm-hmm. which is really kind of empowering. And Roblox is all the rage. Uh, and the, the, the funny story that I heard was Roblox now has so many people that are designing games on top of Roblox platform. Uh, some of these companies actually, some of these people start a company and then, you know, they uh, start their offices right across from Roblox just to, you know, just to poach some of the people from Roblox proper. Wow. <laughs> Which is really, you know, funny story. But the lesson, I think, is Roblox, it actually took some time for the community to kind of build their skills. I mean, you know, it just like, you know, takes a certain amount of time for the community to catch up to the platform, if you will. So uh, if you think about YouTube, for example, I mean, it wasn't exactly like, you know, right when YouTube opened, there's a whole like talented, you know, group of people came to the platform and then start publishing quality content. It, you know, took a certain amount of time. And the same for Roblox. I mean, for them, it took like five years or whatever. So uh, once you have a platform, you gotta be patient. You gotta give the community enough time to kind of like you know try and error approach, and then like kind of grow you know their skill set. Um, like some people will figure out, hey, you know, if I want to become really you know influential and successful on this platform, I gotta you know try different things. So yeah, I mean, Roblox is a very interesting case study. Chang, where can people find out more about you and more about Tapas Media? Yeah, so people can go to uh, App Store and search for Tapas, and uh, they can download our apps. Uh, it's simply called Tapas. The meaning behind Tapas for this is Tapas obviously is a bite-sized food for Spanish cuisine, and uh, it's about the bite-sized content. So uh, yeah, and then people can also check out Tapas on our website. They can simply go to tapas.io. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for making the time to do this. It's great to hear your take on how the publishing ecosystem has changed, about how you've done this you know, now in a few different capacities and what's coming for the future of uh, digital IP creators all over the world. So thanks again for sharing your perspective. Yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, we hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.